welcome to the Nerd Party. It's not working. How long since you've cleaned the heads? The what? The heads. Do you have any alcohol? To drink? What? No, no, to clean it. Check the tracking. The rental place closes in two hours. Shut up, shut up. It's working. Time for a retro perspective. Hello and welcome to Retro Perspective, the show on the Nerd Party where we take a look at all of the movies released 25 years ago this week. I'm Mike. I'm John. And today we're taking a look at the movies released on July 15th, 1994. Yes, July 15th, a scant week after the world saw Forrest Gump hit theaters. Yep, yep. People were wandering through the multiplex, looking for something good. They'd already seen Forrest Gump. Well, (laughs) anyway, um, so July 15th, there were six movies which were released on July 15th. So the first one, uh, which did not rank in the box office, whatever, is L627. This movie... Couldn't figure out how much money it made. Probably not a lot. But it does have a 100% positive rating on Rotten Tomatoes. Uh, It is a cop drama from France. Uh, Mm -hmm. We watched the trailer. I watched the trailer, at least, and it looked pretty good. Did you watch the movie? Uh, I couldn't find any existence of the movie on any streaming service that I could get a hold of. Did you? Yeah. It's too I, bad because it know. did look cool, didn't it? It did. I, yeah. you know, I, you know, honestly, this week winds up. I mean, this is the first indicator of we. I think we all live in a presumption now that we'll be able to get some sort of copy of a movie relatively easy in the modern era, whether it's streaming or special order or DVD or something like that. And uh, I think that this film immediately disproves that theory right there. Yep. Yep. Yeah. And there are some others on here as well that I think do the same thing. Um, Perhaps the next movie, which also did not chart at the box office, Chow Professors, um, 57% on Rotten Tomatoes. I believe this is an Italian movie. Mm -hmm. Couldn't really find much info on this at all. I don't think we ever even found a trailer, did we? No, I don't think so. I think it's, isn't it Chow Professore? Uh, which maybe. is which means professors. Oh, but, may, yeah. maybe maybe uh, maybe my autocorrect changed it to yeah. Uh, either either way, went looking for it, couldn't find it. Okay, yeah. all right. Uh, well, next on the list, this also did not chart, but we're starting to get a little bit more mainstream here. Mm-hmm. Mi vida loca. Yeah, which. It was directed by Allison Anders, who mm-hmm. uh, she did a movie called Gas Food Lodging, which I've never seen. Everyone says it's really good. The other thing which she directed uh, less than a year after this is one of the rooms in Four Rooms. That's where I know her from. Oh, okay. Which she, one? Did she do the which one? Yeah, she did. Yeah, the okay. Which. Okay. Yeah. yeah, it's yeah. weird, like that, that Four Rooms movie, because it had... All of the big up and coming filmmakers, Tarantino and Rodriguez, were givens, but the other two were Allison Anders and Alexander Rockwell. And both of them had made moderately successful movies, 
just prior to that, but they're not, they didn't take off like anyone else. I mean, if, if look, looking at it in hindsight, like who would they have gotten? It probably would be, I mean, Kevin Smith would, would be a strong candidate, right? Yeah, probably. And yeah. I don't know who the fourth person would be. But I don't know. Mi Vida Loca, I wanted to see it. It looked cool. Mm-hmm. It looks like a like sort of like a pseudo documentary or a movie, maybe kind of like training day where they used like a lot of real people essentially playing versions of themselves to tell this fictional story mixed mm-hmm. in with like actors and stuff. And it looked cool, but I couldn't find it. Nor could I. So we got, <laughs> we're, we're three strikes. Okay. Three strikes. All right. Well, surely this, this next movie is available somewhere came in at number 14 at the box office with $62,000 in its opening weekend. 91% positive on Rotten Tomatoes. Spanking the Monkey. Oh, this is a movie which had some pretty high-profile uh, people, uh, especially behind the scenes. It was the first movie by David O. Russell, who maybe he would have mm-hmm. been the fourth guy. I don't know. Um, That's a good guess, yeah. But David O. Russell, who, of course, would go on to direct things like The Fighter, American Hustle, Joy. He did... I uh, said Joy. Did he do Silver Linings Playbook? Yep. Silver yeah, Linings Playbook, right. Three Kings. Um, oh, I didn't know he did Three Kings. Wow. Yeah. That probably would have been the first thing I saw that he did. Yeah. And he yeah. did... What, what was it? Flirting with Disaster? Is that his tune? The title's familiar, but I don't know if that's his. I Heart Huckabee's... Which apparently he got along with Lily Tomlin really well while they were filming that. Oh, yeah, 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 for sure, yeah. for sure. David O. Russell, he has a bit of a, a, a reputation for being a jerk. So there you go. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see in the current era whether he continues having a career as a jerk. Yeah, I mean, so, so many people have vowed to never work with him again, like George Clooney, for example, you know. Um, That's a big thing. Yet Jennifer Lawrence worked with him twice or more three than times. That. Yeah, yeah. Uh, three times at least because she she won her Oscar with with him, right? And, yeah, but it, and but the thing is that 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 just makes me think of uh, what, what you were telling me about the interview where Kevin Smith was talking to M Night Shyamalan, and Kevin Smith, you know, because he talks trash about everybody he worked with at some point. Was talking about how, t- how tough it was to work with Bruce Willis, and Shyamalan's like, "No, he's a good guy. I like him," you know, like. I get along fine with him and stuff like that. So maybe maybe it's just that uh, some people plug into the same frequency. You know? Maybe. And even like Lily Tomlin, like that was the second movie that they had made together, you know? So maybe it just takes time. Yeah. I don't know. Anyway. Um, so, yeah, uh, this is his first movie. And I really wanted to see it because I, I've I've liked most of the movies that I've seen of his. Yeah, same. But... It's not available. Swing and a miss again. Yeah. So we've gone down three strikes. So now this is strike one of the second batter. So we're 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 just not having a good inning so far. No, uh, no, we're not. Yeah. Um, but the next movie, number four at the box office with fourteen point eight million dollars and a thirty three percent on Rotten Tomatoes, Angels in the Outfield. Indeed. I bet you Indeed. could find this one right. I had to order it as an add-on, 
uh, for some stuff I had to buy from Amazon anyway. Cannot find it streaming anywhere. Got it as a DVD mm. uh, add-on that was like four ninety nine, and I said, yeah, I've always actually kind of wanted to see this, so sure. And I was tempted yep. to do that with Mi Vida Loca. I think they had it for like $8.00. Flirt, or, um, spanking the monkey must be out of print because that's like thirty-five yeah. bucks used or something like that. Yeah, that that was that was too high a price point for sure. Yeah. Okay. So so you were dedicated. You were dedicated with this one. You not only ordered it off of Amazon, but you actually got up and put the disc into the DVD player. Very difficult, actually, as it turns out. I've lost a lot of feeling at the uh, tips of my fingers, and so handling the disc was a, a trick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's 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 kind of annoying these days. Yeah. But uh, yeah, yeah is, what did you think? Was this your first time watching it? It was. It was, and you know, I know what I'm signing up for. It's a Disney movie, and you know, it's a, it's a harmless kids movie. It's not a next level sort of thing. I kind of do but don't understand why it became sort of an endearing hit for a little bit like it was pretty well regarded the of the people that I knew I mean the cast is Danny Glover uh, Christopher Lloyd uh, a very young Matthew McConaughey a very young Adrian Brody bunch of other actors who you can't name but you know them uh, Tony Danza's in it of all people uh, and some very terrible special effects, even for the time, are in it. Uh, because, of course, 94 is before the big digital, you know, the digital revolution had started, but it wasn't really where we would ex- expect nowadays. It, it very, a lot of blue screen difficulties with uh, with the effects. I can't believe you're missing one of the biggest stars in this. Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Oh, that's right, yeah. A very, very young Joseph Gordon-Levitt. You're yeah. right, absolutely right. And also the woman uh, pigeon lady from Home Alone 2 okay. was in it. Yeah, she was, she was the, the, the foster care woman. And Dermot Mul- Mulrooney. This is the second Dermot Mulrooney movie I've seen for retro perspective because he was previously in Bad Girls. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I feel like he was in something else this year that I watched. Can't remember oh, I'm sure, I'm sure he, he'll, he's going to sneak in there somewhere. Yeah. No, yeah. I, I was like in a Pizza Hut one time a few years back, and on like Ellen or something like that, they had Joseph Gordon-Levitt and Tony Danza on because they were promoting their new movie, which Joseph Gordon-Levitt directed. Um, oh, John, what was it called? Was it John Doe? The one where he's like, oh God, I I, I forget. Wait, Don John, where he's like Don the Lothario, John. There right? You go. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and and they were like talking about. They were like, "Oh, look, you know, you guys acted together. You know, like, hey, Tony, did you ever think that you know, twenty four years later or whatever, twenty three years later, this little kid would be your director?" And then they like showed the scene where like he's like flapping his wings or whatever. Yes, to give him the uh, the belief that an angel was helping him to to, to teach him to believe in himself. For that last pitch they needed to uh, to strike out the uh, scar-faced evil White Sox player. Yeah. Second movie this year, at least, where the White Sox are the bad guys. And, yes. And I remember watching this and thinking, like, like I remember rooting for the for the White Sox. You know, and my mom's like, but, you're not supposed to be doing that. What? They're not supposed wait. to. 
But the the batter had a scar, Mike. I that know. means he's a bad guy, I, I, right? Well, I mean, I guess that's true, right? Yeah, it's it's weird. Like, I, at one point, you feel like good because you think like, oh, someone out there at Disney thinks that the White Sox are good enough to you know play for the pennant. <laughs> But at there the same go. time, they're going to lose because they're the bad guys. Mm. Yeah, you know, I actually had an interesting uh, ethical problem with Angels in the Outfield, uh, which I shared with my wife, uh, and she told me I was a crazy person. But I maintain that the presence of the Angels themselves helping the uh, the Angels, the California Angels, as they're called in the movie, um, is a cheating problem. I, I would agree. Okay. All right. And I said to her that when one is an angel, depending on the philosophy, if you believe in angels, you've essentially achieved basically a sort of sainthood, right? You're in heaven. You're in the presence of the Lord, right? I would think, based on my understanding, that cheating would not be something that a saintly person would do for any reason. You know, like that at best, this kid would have said the prayer and an angel would have come down and said, yeah, you know, that's not really what we do. Um, <laughs> something else you want? You know, like that sort of thing. Like, I, you know, I, and yeah, it's, it's a harmless enough premise and stuff like that. And Christopher Lloyd is obviously having a blast with everything. But, you know, I, I mean, eh, you know, it's a, I mean, it's a harmless kids movie. Maybe they're fallen angels. Maybe they're going straight to hell. Uh, well, no, because one of the angels is listed. He, he says that he's just gotten out of his training wings. Oh. And so this angel has obviously, you know, been elevated recently. Okay. And who knew that an angel giving a massage to somebody would suddenly turn them into a good hitter? That seems to me questionable <laughs> because they'd be very relaxed, I imagine, but that wouldn't necessarily make them able to hit suddenly. I don't know. It seems like this movie has a few problems. I, I saw it uh, in the drive-in, one of two movies that I saw back-to-back. It's a double feature with Lion King. Thinking about it, I mean, it, I, it, this must have been the first movie in the double feature. Lion King I, must have I been would, the yes. add-on. Uh, add-on? No, I, w- I would imagine they would show Angels in the Outfield first for the same reason that when I saw Mission Impossible at a drive-in theater, they played Black Sheep starring Chris Farley and David Spade first because if if I'd watched Mission Impossible and then gotten 10 minutes into that movie, I would have left. So Yeah, no, I think it, it just probably has more to do with release dates and stuff and, you know, everyone's seen Lion King, so that's just the, you know, yeah. stay for the encore. But I remember, like, my parents, like, and this is another reason why I think, because I would have been like, okay, fine, I'll go to see Angels in the Outfield. But if they would have said, like, we're going to see Lion King, I would have said no. But they, like, surprised us by saying, like, there's another one, you know? We get to see two. And I'm like, God, I just want (laughs) to go home and read Zero Hour, but whatever. Um, Yeah, I remember not liking this movie, so... Yeah, I you know, I, I think I'm probably just easier on Disney movies of this era just because at least it's an original property. Um Is it? And, I thought it was a remake. Oh yes. It's well it's based on another, but it's not I, I'm taking a, a shot at the Iceheart era where they just buy everybody else's uh properties ah, and uh yeah. and franchise them. Um 
So, you know, at the very least, and I would like to see the original because I'm intrigued. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, you know, I mean, it's just that Disney grist mill stuff. You know, uh, their, their live action stuff has always been a collection of curiosities. So, you know. Well, it looks like they finally hacked that Gibson with Marvel and Star Wars. But did they? Did they? Really? I don't know. And then they got their yeah. live action uh, animated adaptations too. So yes, they're remaking themselves. It's very meta. All right. Well, there was one other movie that was released this week. It was number one at the box office, made forty. million, 69% on Rotten Tomatoes. Another remake, James Cameron's True Lies. Yes, based on a French film. Yeah, which you can't find anywhere, too. So Yeah, that's unfortunate, because I would really like to see the original French film. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, did you see this in the theater? You bet I did. Yeah? You, You give me... Like, I don't know why they bothered with anything beyond the statement in the trailer from the director of T2 and Aliens. Just stop right there. Fine. I'm coming to see. I'll go see this. Yeah. Yes. No, that's true. That's true. Yeah. And uh, what, what did you think back then? I enjoyed it. I thought it was a good time. I laughed. thought it was pretty funny. Although, of course, being in the, you know, in the realm of nerds, you have to sit there and pick apart the way that the Harrier behaves and people hanging off it and stuff. And it's like, oh, you'd have been sucked into the intake, right? It's like, you know, typical nerd stuff. But, you know, had a good time. Uh, Did you see it in the theater? No, I saw it. Uh, it must have been about two years later. It must have been 96. Uh, it was It was a day. I can't remember what the holiday was, but thinking back now, it must have been one of those fake holidays because we were off of school, but you know nobody else was off of work or anything like that. Yeah. And my friend Matt and I, we decided to rent a few movies that day. And these were the movies which we watched. All first-time watches, by the way. Okay. Okay, we watched okay. three movies at his house. And then after that, I went home and I watched another movie, which I had never seen before. So here were okay. the th- here were the four movies in order: Terminator, mm-hmm. Terminator Two, mm-hmm. Clueless, mm-hmm. and then I went home and watched True Lies. Wow, it's a Cameron fest. That has got to be the best first time watch day ever in my life. I mean, nothing else could compare to that ever. There's no way. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah. That's a pretty strong lineup. I mean, I do enjoy clueless very much. Yeah. And Terminator and and T2. I mean, it's, you know, come on. Those, those are two incredible science fiction films, but I take it from your, your glowing review that you are a person who is enthusiastically, uh, in favor of true lies. Yeah, you know, it, like it, it was weird because like I was still just trying to figure things out at that point. I, I must have been 15, but it just like, like thinking about the timeline and everything. And um, it was like one of those things where it's like, I'm just starting to realize who directors are, 
mm-hmm. what their role is in, in the making of movies and everything like that and how like maybe that in itself is a reason to go see a movie or something like that and sort of um, realizing that you know just because a movie looks like it's a certain type of movie doesn't necessarily mean that it is or doesn't necessarily that doesn't have any indication of its quality really and you know you'd go to Windy City Video and you'd look around and you'd look in the action section and you'd see Arnold Schwarzenegger, Sylvester Stallone, Jean-Claude Van Damme, just all over the place, everything, every possible combination of whatever, die hard mm-hmm. in a this, die hard in a that, you know, all these things. And you would just kind of dismiss all of them. And, you know, I saw the the box art for true lies and i saw it right next to all the other schwarzenegger movies like last action hero and everything and i just completely dismissed all of them and one day like i started looking at you know the credits on the box and i saw you know that this was directed by james cameron and i was like oh so maybe this is different from the others and i got excited by the fact that it seemed like trash but trash which was made by someone who made aliens in the abyss and i was like mm-hmm. i'm going to give this a shot and i took it home and watched it that night and um i i, I really did love it and I, and i've always loved it and it's one of those things where I, like it it doesn't unlike a lot of, well, just movies in general, but in particular Cameron movies, it doesn't get played out for me because, you know, it's never been released on anything other than uh, a DVD which was ripped off of a Laserdisc transfer from, you know, 1994. And the quality is absolute garbage, so you don't watch it too often. And... yeah. Cinemax has it in HD. So mm-hmm. I that's how I watched it this time. It's the absolute best the the movie has ever looked and everything. Um I haven't seen it in a few years. I, I can't remember when, but it's actually I had logged it on Letterboxd. So it, it had to have been within the last, you know, five years or so. Um yeah. and uh I I really did like it a lot this time, but I went into this week thinking like this is going to take the top spot you know this is going to dethrone speed and everything for for the year up until this point there's no doubt about it in my mind and you know watching it this time i mean i still really really enjoy it but it didn't hold up for me the way that i had hoped uh i, I think that speed may be the better movie you know, it's fun and everything, but there's some stuff in it where you're just kind of like, uh, it's a little, it's a little tacky. You know, the, the gender politics don't quite hold up uh, by today's standards, and there's some really weird stuff that they do, and the humor is kind of bizarre, and it takes like this really weird turn structurally, where like the movie mm-hmm. just stops being about like the a plot for like a good half hour and they just focus on this other thing and then they come back to it. It's like, it forgets the story that it's telling and it starts telling a different story. And then it goes back Mm -hmm. to that other story. It's really weird. But uh, on the whole, I I still think that it is very good. Did you rewatch it this time? Oh yeah, I did. Um, Sorry, Cinemax. I'll be canceling again soon, but but you did get it. So you saw it in HD. Yes. 
Yeah. All right, cool. They do have the Abyss theatrical cut in HD up there, oh, too. Oh, so theatrical. Check that out, too. Director's cut. Director's cut. Yeah. No, I... um. You know, I this has always been one of those weird ones from Cameron where I wasn't like madly in love with it, but over time, so many people I knew talked it up. I was like, oh, maybe I'm just misremembering. Like, you know, maybe maybe I'm not cutting. Oh yeah, you know, Tom Arnold is really really funny. Like I remember him, like he was the real scene stealer. Tom Arnold was the revelation of the movie. Like everybody walked out saying, wow, this guy's actually really funny. We we love Tom Arnold, and. Uh, you know, I, I can't I'm not going to say anything about, you know, the whatever gender politics or whatever. But like Art Malik, um, it, you know, who was in the Living Daylights as the head of the Mujahideen, he's got a great comic gift. He's actually able to pull off being, uh, you know, a bloodthirsty terrorist, but still get laughs, which is, you know, you got to be really deft at that. Like the guy's got a really light touch, but. I think that the the movie overall just very much feels like somebody who isn't entirely comfortable telling this joke and doesn't really want to. Like when the when we're at the action scenes, Cameron's in his element. You can the movie comes to life with the Harrier jet sequence and Arnold punching and fighting and shooting and all of that stuff. And it accentuates the humor that's inherently in an Arnold Schwarzenegger sort of premise. But a lot of the stuff, like the, the whole subplot with the daughter, it feels tacked on. Um, especially because at the end, like she's been absent for most of the movie. And then, you know, they just say, Oh, and your daughter got kidnapped. Wait, what? Oh, she's in, right. She's in the movie. Okay, sure. That's her purpose. And, uh, you know, s- some of the Tom Arnold humor, I don't know. I It was really funny the first time I saw it, and now it's not particularly funny. It's like, oh, he's just a bitter dude. Um, and although there is a funny thing where I was... Uh, I was watching the movie and it got to the scene where Jamie Lee Curtis is doing the sexy dance for uh, for Arnold. And my wife walked in and she goes, what the hell are you watching? Like she thought it was a, like it's true lies. It's, Arnold Schwarzenegger, Jamie Lee Curtis. Just Cinemax. Nothing. Yeah. Right. I'm like, it's Arnold. It's, you know, it's true lies. And she says, what is that? My wife had never seen it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and she had no interest. Um, so there you go. It is weird. Like, you know, I mean, some people give, you know, J.J. Abrams a hard time about, you know, sort of like the plot and the motivations of Mission Impossible 3, where, you know, it's like presented as this love story, you know, about a spy who, you know, tells his, you know, wife that he's a spy and everything. And, you know, but in reality, like if you break it down beat by beat, he's the only reason why he tells her is because he's afraid of getting caught he's afraid of losing this relationship he doesn't do it because he thinks it's the right thing to do he does it for self-preservation yeah like true lies like takes that to another level entirely like whoa you're going crazy here in this plot you know well i i mean i i think that there's there is something buried under there that cameron's trying to say that's fairly interesting about that's you know about the hypocrisy of Harry where, you know, he gets all upset because she starts seeing Bill Paxton, 
But here he is, and his entire existence is a lie, and she has no idea who he really even is. But it really seems like something where it's so heavy, like it seems so disconnected that it it it's a little too absurd for its own good. Yeah. Um, and so the I mean, and the Tia Carrere art dealer subplot seems unnecessary at best. I, um, I kind of like so, that subplot. Know, I don't know. I think it's interesting. I, I it, the you want me to be honest. The entire that entire thing feels like they just weren't comfortable with having a man hit Jamie Lee Curtis, and so it was like, well, we need a female villain so they can get in a fight, and people aren't uncomfortable with it. No, I mean, I think that you know she kind of she's like his Bill Paxton in a sense, you know, and I don't know. I mean, I, I think that there's some some good stuff going on there. I you know they they yeah. keep on talking. I mean, for years they were talking about doing a sequel, you know, and then that. Which I thought would have been cool because it would have been different. It would have been, you know, I mean, now they're partners or whatever. And then that yeah. that went away uh, after 9-11. They were just like, oh, we can't really, you know, do a lighthearted comedy about terrorism anymore. And then they were going to do it as a TV show. Uh, Cameron was going to produce it. And they had um, uh, Renee Echevarria as... The, the mm. creator, the showrunner, who, of course, you know, he worked on Deep Space Nine for years and years and years. And he also, uh, I think, was the showrunner on Dark Angel for at least a while, Cameron's other show. Mm-hmm. And that went away. And now McGee is developing it as a show. And he's been working on it for a while. But mm. it, it apparently it's going to be on, like, Disney Plus or something like that. I mean, I think you could do something interesting with that as a TV show, but, um, yeah. Yeah. Well, I do. I, you know, you mentioned nine 11. I do think it's interesting. And I think a lot of people lose perspective. I think that the, the terrorist plots in movies in the 1990s show. And I, I really think as, as time goes on and there are people who don't have very clear memories of the nineties or, you know, we're, we're very young during that time period. It, you look back at the terrorist plots these movies had, it really shows how our collective thinking really wasn't fathoming something like 9-11 happening. Yeah. Everything we looked at was truck bombs or nuke in front of the White House or stealing nuclear bombs or this or that. Nobody, not even in, you know, these people are paid to, to write absurd premises and it never occurs to anybody to look at this one thing that that ha- and even in 93 there was a truck bomb where they tried to bring down the world trade center so that even played right into it we we're like well yeah obviously it's gonna be a truck bomb so, you know it's gonna be that and it's it's just it's interesting as a result i think and i think that the you know it's a worthwhile sort of thing to look back at this or the siege or the peacemaker for what we thought the problem was going to be as opposed to what it actually wound up being. Yeah, and the one time, the, the one show which did do it, essentially did it as like something so over the top that it was almost comical. That was Lone Gunman. Which yeah. Just a few months before 9-11 had a plot about a terrorist who was trying to 
fly a plane into the World Trade Center, you know? Yeah. Which is crazy. But, yeah, I mean, that was, like, so over the top, you know? Right. It was done for, essentially, laughs, in a sense. Right. Yeah, who was going to do this? Right. Nobody's going to do that. Yeah. Yeah. It's weird. But... Yeah, I mean, but but now I think like, and, and I think like at the time, like uh, any sort of like spy show or whatever, it's going to be so focused on terrorism that you know once nine eleven hit, like that was just sort of off the table for something which was basically done as like popcorn entertainment. Oh yeah. But now you know we've as as a film industry, I guess we uh, they have kind of figured out. Like that, you can tell other stories that don't involve that, you know, which is why we can have sure. something like uh, True Lies as as a TV show again. But anyway, um, that was True Lies. Uh, yeah, I mean, what do you think? Does it better, or worse than when you first saw it? Worse, I, and but the thing is, that's a loaded word. I think overall, it's a movie. You know, it's it's okay. Like I, I don't dislike watching it but I, it's not something I, I doubt I'm going to come back to it okay better than angels in the outfield sort of a push it's a little bit better sure I mean just because Cameron and you know his crew know what they're doing and it, you know it, it may have its problems but it's put together really well and it looks really good yeah Um. so but you know I, I you know like I said I'm lenient with the Disney live action stuff so you know I Angels in the Outfield is very obviously just made to appeal to the kids. And so as a kid's movie, you know, as a slice of energy, like they're sort of in two different categories where Angels in the Outfield is a forgettable piece of kids entertainment and True Lies is a semi-forgettable piece of adult entertainment. Yeah, I mean, I still like this movie a whole bunch. I, I would probably put it at number two on the year right now, just behind Speed. Um, but mm. yeah, uh, it's, it, it'll be interesting to see whether or not it makes my top 10 come year's end. I'm curious. Yeah. But it was, yeah. it was good getting to see it again and, and I will revisit it, you know, when the 4k disc comes out or whatever, or it ends up on Disney plus or wherever it's going to go these days. He'll make it so that you can only get the 4k transfer of the abyss director's cut and true lies if you buy tickets to all of the Avatar sequels. There you go. I would do that. But. I probably would too, to be honest with you. <laughs> sure. Why not? And you'll see those movies anyway, right? Because they say from the director of True Lies and T2, or of uh, well, Aliens and T2. Yes. I, mm, yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, we'll see. I, I'm a different person now. Okay. So all right. Avatar 2 has got gotta, got to come out strong. All right. So, next week, we have four movies. One on Wednesday, July 20th, and three on Friday, July 22nd. The Wednesday movie was The Client. And yes. the Friday movies are Just Like a Woman, North, and Lassie. I gotta see North, man. <laughs> I finally got to see North, a movie so bad that Roger Ebert made a point of telling the world how much he hated it. Yes, yes. So until next week, John, where can people find you on the internet? 
Oh, nobody wants to find me on the internet, but if you feel so inclined, I'm Kessel Junkie. Just look for that name. Or you can find me right here on the network, co-hosting a Star Wars podcast called Aggressive Negotiations with Matthew Rushing. And uh, where can people find you, Mike? Uh, Well, you can find me uh, on my website, filmdamagepod.com, doing a show called Film Damage. Uh, We just released our first episode in over five months, and uh, we talk about something which was inspired by a comment from some 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 person some random person about uh stranger things and like projection in stranger things so mm-hmm. uh if you want to check that out i don't know john have you seen stranger things i did and there's an interesting scene in the uh the the opening episode of stranger things season three where they they sneak into a uh sneak preview of day of the dead yes i i have yet to do the uh the math on it and figure out if it would be appropriate for them to have been seeing said movie at said time. But I will trust them to have done their research. Well, it does say sneak preview on there. Yes, but sneak preview isn't going to be, you know, I, I want to find out whether it's in the logical window for a sneak preview to have happened. Probably not. It's, it's probably why they put sneak preview on there is because the timing didn't line up, but whatever. Um, yeah. John was the person who posed this question to me and I, me. I, I, we, I did some research. I talked to some people. I talked to to my my old tech, and we got some answers. And the conversation, I don't know if it's going to be at all coherent because it's basically just Max and I (laughs) arguing about uh, whether whether or not it would work. But uh, we'll see. I look forward to hearing it because I know that it's going to be an interesting conversation. Yeah, well, we shall see. We shall see. Uh, But you can also find me on Twitter and Letterboxd at Mumbles3K. So, until next week, be kind, rewind. 